We're looking to look at God's word this morning, and if you're ready, you're going to be made a bit uncomfortable, because God's word, I've heard recently, disturbs the comfortable and comforts the disturbed. <laughs> if you're feeling disturbed, get ready to be made at peace this morning. He says in John 6, um, the disciples are with Jesus, and uh, Jesus challenges them, and a lot of people leave him. But he says, well, what about you? And Peter says, well, Lord, can, who can we go to? And I boldly believe and pray today that we should be able to say with that same conviction, to Lord, Lord, to whom can we go? You have the words of eternal life. When it seems that people have been sucked in by the world, and some are turning away, when it seems like that when the prophet Amos says, you know, God's going to put a plumb line among his people, and he's going to see if we're actually leaning and crooked or not. And when it seems that God is shifting his people, what he's longing for is people who will stand for the truth and align themselves with his words and people who are seeking after his heart. And what of this gospel anyway? Of course, in Romans chapter 1, verse 16, it says, I am not ashamed of the gospel. The gospel is not passive. The gospel is not waiting, it's not us waiting at the doors of our churches the doors of our house groups, it's, it's, or the doors of our callings, waiting for people to come to us. The gospel is an embrace. The gospel is a deliberate act to go to somebody, to reach out your hand and throw your arms around them. It takes guts and a positive decision to get up and do something. This Jesus is Lord doesn't mean that we wait, but we go. It doesn't mean we are passive, but we are active. The gospel means that we go. We aren't called to be retreating people, retreating back to the safety and comfort of our buildings, but we're called to be Christians who go for the gospel, remembering, where's it gone? There's a world out there ready for harvest. Well, you leave it up. That's fine. And the, 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 the worship really confirmed it about being in the presence of the Lord, because this morning I want to look at somebody who maybe isn't quite the best person to look at on a Sunday, but he stood for truth. He maybe did things a bit underhandedly, and I wonder whether you get to heaven, you're going to want to meet people who have stood for truth, who pioneered the gospel. I want to meet Henry and Connie. Yeah. Many of you, well, some of you would have had their own, your own experiences of Henry and Connie. I want to meet them. I want to meet David, a man after God's own heart. Yeah. But another person I want to meet is Jacob. It's, it's like an Old Testament soap opera. Does his, does his uncle Laban over? Well, no, him and Laban were really at loggerheads with each other anyway, because he wanted Rachel, and Laban, Laban kept giving him Leah. He was a bit of a nasty man. Cheated his own brother, cheated his own father, ran off. But in all of that, God came and met with him. God came and met with him. And he said, there's a, we're going to look at it in a bit, there's, 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 a, there's a, a, an incident when he was at uh, this place and there was an open heaven. And Jacob found where he belonged. We've been singing about it. Here in your courts, well, I'm even close to your throne. throne. I found where I belong. Now, I'm not going to read any scriptures. I'm just going to give them to you as reference so you can read them later on when you get back. A good preacher does that. But Genesis 26, if you can turn there, you can read it, you can read it whilst I'm preaching to you if you want. Genesis 26, we read about the birth of Jacob. And uh, it seems to me that there are many barren people in the Old Testament. I mean, his grandmother, Rebecca, Sarah, sorry, was 80. Plus, when she gave birth. Rebecca was in her 40s when she gave birth. But there was something wrong in the, the, the womb. And we read, um, 
that the children struggle together. Who is going to be top dog in the womb? This wasn't no ordinary birth. This wasn't no ordinary pregnancy. It was a struggle of what was going to come. And Rebecca asks of the Lord, and we are told, the Lord replies, two nations are in your room. Esau, who would form the Gentiles, and Jacob, who would lead the Israelites, who would lead the Jews. One shall be stronger than the other. Two people shall be separated from your body, and the older shall serve the younger. You see, what God has consecrated, he already foreknew before the foundation of the world. God knew that the lesser would be greater. God knew that the stronger, he, that God knew that the stronger and powerful would serve the lesser. What is in God's plan has already been consecrated even before Isaac, because Isaac was the same as Jacob. When Abraham cast Hagar off in Genesis, Sarah tells Abraham to tell Hagar to clear off because Ishmael was um, mocking Isaac. And Sarah tells him that Ishmael will never share in the inheritance of Isaac. God tells Abraham to listen to Sarah, and that's good, um, that's good um, knowledge for us men to listen to, our, listen to our women. Not that I'm blessed with that at the moment, but anyway. Uh, but God tells Abraham, listen to Sarah, for it's through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Basically, your descendants will come through Isaac. Whatever it is in your life that goes against the will of God, cast it off. Get rid of it. And welcome in what God has already ordained for you. What God has already ordained for your life. What is planned before the foundation of the world. It's meant for your benefit. It's meant for your growth. It's meant for you to grab hold of and run in and flourish in. That all glory might go to him. The inherent, inherent promises of God. I'm challenged. I read a book and the title was It's Time to, stop standi- it's time to Start Standing on the Promises and to Stop Sitting on the Premises. You see, Jacob was born with the inherent promises of God. But it was only until Isaac prayed that God's promises were fulfilled when Isaac asked for a child. And God's promises won't be fulfilled unless, until you ask for it, until you seek him. See, he says, whatever you ask in my name, I'll do it for you. And it says here that Jacob wasn't a man of mind. It was, he was a man of mind. He wasn't a skillful man. He was a man who dwelt in tents. I mean, dwelling in tents doesn't really mean that he was an educated person, but his mind wasn't on earthly things. He was concerned with the heavenly things. He wasn't concerned with going out for food and hunting for food. He was like his father and his grandfather. He was like people who were dwelling and focusing on the promises of God. And I wonder, are you dwelling in tents this morning? Are you concerned with the eternal things? Or are you concerned with the temporal? The shift must be from the temporal to the eternal. Temporal things like jobs and clothes and cars and music. Everything is temporal. But we're pitching our tents one step closer to the heavenly Jerusalem. We're, we're, we're pitching ourselves one step closer to the, to the glory land until we either get there before one another or Christ comes and brings his kingdom. But let's be focused upon the promises of God. And one more thing that really did bless me actually looking at this. Jacob is in the line. Jacob's in the lineage. Jacob is in the line of David. And David was in the line of Jesus. So even though Jacob was second born, it was all part of God's plan for him to be part of the lineage of Jesus. Jacob's life pointed to Christ. 
The seed that will crush the serpent's head in Genesis, the seed that was born of the woman, grew and multiplied. The seed that was born back then would never die out because the seed would grow and flourish until the time that Christ comes. At the appointed time, at the right time, Christ came. And the seed which crushed evil and death is born in you. Because the seed didn't die out with Jesus. But when you're born again, you're born of an incorruptible seed. You're born of a seed that will last forever. Glory to God. Let's go on to trend. Let's go on a bit further to verse 29 in 26, chapter 26. I think it's verse 29. Yes, it is. No, it's not. It's actually 27 and 28. You see, within this plan, God uses some very interesting people. He uses Rahab. I mean, she was a prostitute. I mean, that's um, probably going a bit far. Jonah ran off, found himself in the belly of a whale. Peter was a liar. Paul was a murderer. And Jacob's no different. Because in two different stories, we read that not only did he cheat his brother, but he cheated his father and robbed him of his blessing. Firstly, the birthright. Now, the birthright I've been reading is a twofold blessing. It included a double portion in the inheritance from the father. And secondly, it included a special ceremonial blessing from the father. The birthright was the natural privilege of the firstborn. Jacob would then be head of the family. He would have charge over all the property of all the family. He would have welfare for the younger sons, the widows, and all the unmarried daughters, and everything else, exercising his authority over the family. And during this patriarchal period before Jesus, God dealt, God dealt firsthand with the heads of families. The blessing given by the father was like an oral contract, which is just as important as a written contract. Whilst Jacob d- didn't receive any property, what he did receive was a blessing. A last will and testament that Jacob would have lordship over all the nations. The blessing that Jacob received promised him divine protection. So those who cursed Jacob would be cursed, and those who blessed him would be blessed. We see, Esau couldn't have changed anything about God's choice. He couldn't have changed anything about God's chosenness, about God's election, which he had already ordained, as I've said before, the foundation of the world. Yes, of course, Esau was Jacob's brother. So in respect to their family, they have equality. You remember the story of Cain and Abel, and they make sacrifices, and one kills the other. And God says, where is your brother? Where's your brother? And the response is, am I my brother's keeper? And God said, and, and, God, and the answer is, yes, you are. You are your brother's keeper. That's the answer that ripples throughout the 66 books of the Bible. You are your brother's keeper. He didn't choose Jacob because he was better than Esau. He didn't say, I don't want Esau because he's no good. This was a choice. It was not based on standing, but based on God's redemptive plan. God chose the weaker twin, not the stronger one. God chose the one that was going to be a, a he, he, God chose the one that was going to be a reject. God chose the one that was younger, weaker, and less reliable. But isn't, what, isn't that what God's always done? Yeah. Didn't God choose Gideon? He chose David. He chose Moses at 80 rather than at 40. Didn't God choose Judah, the smallest tribe in Israel? Didn't God choose Bethlehem, that is of no little value and worth at all, according to Old Testament? Didn't God choose Mary, a young teenager, in which to place his seed? 
Didn't God choose Joseph, a carpenter, to bring up his own son? And the church was birthed, when the church was birthed, didn't God choose ignorant men, unlearned people, ordinary people, and women, men and women? He walked with prostitutes. He walked with those whose society rejected. God has always chosen the weaker things to the world to confound the wise. There is something about God's choosing which goes to the vulnerable, those who have been forgotten, and unlearned Norfolk people like me. God chooses me, and I'm pleased with that. Two things out of this story. Grab hold of the blessing no matter what. I believe that too many people have been given a gift, a blessing, an anointing, a talent from God. And and what they do is they're like that, 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 that story. They bury it in the sand and think that it's going to gain interest if they bury it. But it does matter what you do with your gift. It matters what you do with it. What you have to, all you have to do is push in to the presence of God. Go in and grab hold of your blessing. Go and grab hold of what was rightfully yours as a child of the king. The king in heaven says, test me in this. See that I will not throw open all the storehouses of heaven and pour out such blessing that even this place couldn't contain it. Even if you have to be like Jacob and dress up like a hairy old man, you have every right as a child of the king, to march up to Zion's gates, go before the throne, and plead before your father to give you a blessing. You have every right to use use his name before the father to receive your blessing. Whatever you ask in my name, I will give it to you. God uses Jacob in his deceitfulness to be a great nation. And don't give up the blessing. Don't be like Esau. I want to encourage you, as a child of God, we either grab hold of it, or we reject it. Esau would have rather have had the physical food than the right that was his as the firstborn. I don't know who you are, and I don't know what's been dangled in front of you. There's a lot of things that have been dangled in front of me over the last few years. But son and daughter of the living God, those things, which are, those things are not from God. Those things will give you momentary pleasure. Pleasure, those things are just a physical enjoyment. What Esau had in that food that um, Jacob tricked him with was a physical pleasure for a moment. His stew of meat, what he actually had in his hands was an internal reward. And what is in your hand is an internal reward. What is in your heart is the right to be called a child of God. Why? Because you have believed in his name and called upon him as your Lord. And this, in this rejection, not only did God put his hand on Jacob, but Esau rejected God. And in his own right, he sold his birthright. He turned away from God. And later on, his his, his own children did as well. But that was all part of God's plan. We must get to grips with it and understand this. It It was all part of the redemptive plan of God. Esau does realize his mistake later on. In 27, 36, he says, And Esau said, Is he not rightly named Jacob? For he has supplanted me these two times. He took my birthright, and now look, he has taken my blessing. Don't let the world deceive you of your blessing before it's too late. Don't let the enemy rob you. Go back to the enemy's camp and take back what he's stolen from you. It's never too late. There's always time with God. But the irony is, we look to the signs and times around us, time is running short. And like it says in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 16, redeem the time. Redeem the time. Get in order. 
Because when God comes, it will be too late then. And then later on in chapter 32, and I'll just give brief reference to this, I don't want to read it, but we see this beautiful reconciliation between Jacob and Esau. Jacob thinks he has to prepare gifts to send to Esau. He has to prepare a, um, a sort of special blessing for Esau. But what we see isn't fighting. We don't see petty squabbling between two brothers. What we see isn't a falling out um, over the colour of, you know, what we see sometimes, you know, is, is a, sometimes we fall out over colours of carpets, we, what songs we sing, what tunes we use, we get funny about the lighting in churches, the colour of the walls, who should be in leadership. But what we see in chapter 33 and verse 4 is a beautiful reconciliation. Esau ran to his brother, and he embraced him, kissed him, and they wept together. There's such beauty in that. There's such beauty. Uh, Jacob, having deceived Esau, having deceived his own father, that even though Jacob ran off, and he thought Esau meant to kill him, Esau acts differently. He embraces him. After all of these years apart, after gaining, yes, what was Esau's, but in God's plan was meant for Jacob, they embrace and they reconcile. <laughs> Who do you need to reconcile with this morning? Who's wronged you so much that you can't go over to them, hug them, weep with them, and kiss them? If it's family, and there are plenty of sermons to do with that, drop your pride, go and apologize. Be the family of God wants you to be. If it's the church, don't let worldly arguments break up, what, break up God's kingdom. Don't let the arguments of the world creep in and destroy the good work. Go and be reconciled with your brother and your sister. This reminds me of another story. It reminds me of a story in Luke where the father sees his son afar off, runs to him and embraces him, throws his arms around him and throws the best party in town. And if God has done that for you, why then can you not go and do that for your brother and sister? How much more effective to the person you have wronged will that be? how much more of a better witness will that be to the world around us? It's time to show the world that we are not a people of war, we're not a people of argument, but we're a people of love. And on my bookshelf, I have a book by R.T. Kendall, which I'm going to read when I get back, on love. I'll put it on my bookshelf and said, I've got other books to read at the moment, but it's time to be a people of love. If what we see in Jacob's first part of his story about a deceitfulness, if we see a great reconciliation between Jacob and his brother, and this was centuries before Jesus told the story in Luke about the brother who ran off, wanted his money, but came back, how much more of a better witness can we be to the world if we are a people of love and embrace? And after these two deceitful moments, we have moments of great blessing. In chapter 28, verse 10 to 22, we um, have a, a beautiful um, and then when he meets God at Bethel I believe God wants to meet with us more but the, 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 the trouble is we have this in our thinking I mean this is in certain churches of course we have this thing that we'll leave the God bit to the end of the service you know, we'll leave the God bit to the end because we want to get through our 
orders of service and things, and we, we don't want God to come and break in because it, we're scared for God to break in anyway. And if he does, there'll be complete disorder and chaos. But God doesn't move in structure. I've learned this. God doesn't move in structure. In, fa- in fact, God um, does, does, does the complete opposite. Our joining together isn't for our benefit. It's for his benefit. We join together to bless his heart, to press in and seek his face, to come close to his throne. But God isn't going to move in structure. We can't mould him into what we want. From the moment we gather together, when the building is opened, to the moment the door is closed, and the more we go about, when we go about in our daily lives, we need to be open to the moving of the Spirit of God within us. It's good to have structure. I'm not saying we shouldn't have structure, because if not, there'll be complete chaos and anarchy. But it's good to have structure. But we should also be open to the moving of the Spirit of God. The most holy moments I've actually ever been in is when I've been in an anointed time of worship, and I daren't spoke. Because if not, I feel like I'm going to damage the presence of God. I've been in a, I, was in a ladies meeting. I was in a ladies' meeting of all th- places to be, because pianists and musicians are very hard come to, to come by. And I was, I was, we were singing that chorus, and he walks with me, and he talks with me, and he tells me I'm his own, and the joys we share as we tarry there, none other has ever known. And I was really, I just couldn't even play the piano, because God's tangible presence was there. Anyway, Alan said be spontaneous. <laughs> now, the account, now, this account, sorry, in Genesis 28, is a time when Jacob has fled the family home. And we see him arrive in a desolate place. And during the night, as many of us do, Jacob had a dream. He dreamt that he saw an open heaven. There was a ladder ascending and descending to God. And in his dream, God appeared to him. He gave Jacob a promise, a wonderful promise, concerning the land, the seed, and how he would become a great blessing. And when Jacob got up, he said, Surely God was in this place, and I didn't even know it. This is an awesome place. This is the gate of heaven. And he took the pillow, turned it into a pillar, pouring oil on it, and called the name of that place Bethel. Jacob, a supplanter, a cheater, was forced to run away from his own home, his comfortable place, went through the wilderness, but in the wilderness God met with him and gave him a dream, which became the most crucial thing in Genesis and in the entire Bible. And in our personal life, there comes a time when we, like Jacob, are empty, we're lonely. We feel far away from God. And there the Lord meets with us. We have a personal contact with him. We have a dream. We have a spiritual vision. God is waiting for us. Just as he was waiting for Jacob. And just as the Lord Jesus was waiting for the sinful woman at the well, he wants us to have a dream. God's dream. Which will become our dream. Let me just give two brief points. I like the sound of my own voice. Firstly, God wants to meet with you. He really does. You might think that God isn't interested in you. You might think you're too old or you're too uneducated or you're too young. But let me tell you, God wants to meet with you. God wipes away all status, comes in and meets with you. He he wants to meet with you no matter how desperate your situation is. He wants to come and meet with you, give you a fresh vision and a fresh reality of who he is in you and through you. And secondly, sometimes we can be so blind that we miss the blessing. We, 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 we're like Jacob. 
Surely the Lord was here, and I didn't know it. Or in, in, in another title of a book I've read recently, God was here, but I was out to lunch. The challenge is to open our eyes with spiritual blindness and see God for who he is. To open our eyes and see with spiritual eyes what God is doing in this day and in this age in which we live. God is longing, I do believe this, God is longing to move in our nation. God is longing to bring the old-time power, as Henry used to say, I've, I've heard it on videos, old-time power back to the church. But the church goes around with its blinkers on. They think they're charismatic enough already, but they're not. I have arguments with people in my church in Lincoln. Oh, we're charismatic enough already. We speak in tongues. Great. Where's the evidence of that? Oh, no, I just do it in my own personal, you know, personal prayer life. You know. Well, where's the evidence? You show me the evidence, and I'll show you what it says in here. Get back to what Acts says. I was challenging my everyday with Jesus. I don't know if anyone does everyday with Jesus, but in the um, uh, last month's um, uh, study, it went through the Acts of the Apostles. If we get back to what the church in Acts was like, we'll start seeing old time power. But anyway, the church is spiritually blind and deaf to, 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 to what God wants to do. He wants to revitalize the old bones in our nation. And he wants to breathe new life into these lungs. Let's not be blind enough and deaf enough to have to say, surely God was here and I didn't know it. Let's be people who say, surely God is here in this place. And be challenged for us, be tuned into what he's saying. And hear his heartbeat once again. And God's dream is, is ultimately to have a house. A corporate and mutual dwelling place of God and man. This isn't a physical or material building. But it's... God built into man and man built into God. A mutual building process which results in a mutual abode in which God becomes man's home and man is God's home. The whole Bible speaks of God's thoughts and desires to make us his home and become our home. And, the old, and in the ultimate consummation scene in the New Jerusalem, God will gain the fulfillment of his dream. A universal building and competition of God and man mingled, blended and incorporated together. Our dream is, as we've sung this morning, to become God's dwelling place, to become close to his throne, to become the new Jerusalem, which is God's economy. We have a dream. Our dream is God's dream, which is Jacob's dream. Our dream is to become the new Jerusalem. May we have this dream as we're being infused with God's dream, revealed in his holy word. And, of course, you know in Joel chapter 2 it says, in these last days... Young men will see visions. Older people will have dreams. And in a very real, se in a very real, real sense today, we are the people of visions and dreams. <laughs> and the more dreams, the better. I'm challenged that people who've gone before us in this place and in the glory way had dreams. They didn't dream that this place would die out. They didn't dream that the glory way would finish. Rather more, it would continue as people grab hold of what has been laid before. You know, I do believe that there are many people who are going to come into this place, who are going to grab hold of a blessing, and going to take it forward in this nation. I do believe that. We need to have dreams every day in our spiritual life. We need to experience something new and wonderful of Christ every day in our life. Our whole Christian life is a life of dream after dream, experience after experience of Christ. And most such heavenly visions come to us in times of suffering, when we feel cut off from God. 
and we put our trust in what is of God. If Jacob would have been at home, he probably wouldn't have had the dream of Bethel. He had to go and wander in the wilderness, suffer loneliness, and been forsaken by everyone. Then, when there was nothing outwardly for him to rely on, God appeared to him. When we are apart from so many things, away from distractions and daily preoccupations, sometimes even being forced to get into a place, we will see a dream. God is there. The centre of every spiritual dream is Christ, himself as the ladder, the one who brings heaven to earth and joins earth to heaven. And then we move on from this encounter. And as Jacob makes his way to Esau, he's had the encounter with Laban and Rachel and Leah, divides his possessions and sends them off. In one night, he, he, he crosses the river, and Jacob remained in Peniel, I think it is. And a man struggled with, struggled with him the whole night. Jacob wouldn't let the man go. He said, God, I, I will not let you go until you bless me. So what did he do? He touched Jacob's hip and gave him a limp. It was, in, it was crucial for his development. He'd been strong in his natural man, but God wanted to touch him in the inner man. God had to wrestle with him all night in order for Jacob to change, to stop working things out in the natural and to start working things out in the spiritual. I believe there are some of you here who have been wrestling, wrestling with God for some time. God honours that. God honours the time that you spend with him. God knows how much time you've spent tackling, tackling him in prayer, how much time you've spent trying to grab hold of him. He will bless you, and he will honour you. He will raise you up. He's going to give you a limp. Your natural man will wither away. Your spiritual man will develop. Firstly, he firstly God, wanted, God wrestled with Jacob to break his natural life. Remember in 2 Corinthians 4, 16, therefore we do not lose heart, even though we are outwardly wasting away. Inwardly, we are being renewed day by day. God wants to touch us again and again. He may not touch us once and for all, that's a challenge for me, but as we wrestle with him for a while, he will touch us again and again. He knows where the problem is. Can't hide anything from God. That's a challenge. He knows where we are strong in our natural. And he touches us at that certain spot that causes us to be lame, no longer walking the same as we were before in our inner being. May he break in and through us. And may he get to the point where we are, well, may we get to the point where we are touched by him. We shouldn't seek outward correction or improvement, but inward change, inner dealing before the Lord. When the Lord touches us at that crucial spot, we are lame. We can no longer be the same in our inner being and limp, no longer being whole. The reason God touches our natural being and exposes us is because he wants to work himself into us. But we are so full of ourselves. We are so full of natural man. But God wants to work himself into us and bring forth a new creation. For this our outward man is daily being consumed, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. We should not lose heart as we see the outer self decaying away. You might look in the mirror and think, you might take one look in the mirror and think, Oof, 
really. But God is working on the inner of you, not the outer. And secondly, everything that happens to us is under God's sovereignty and for our transformation. Jacob was a man under God's hand. And everything that happened to Jacob was, was for his transformation in this story into Israel. There are three distinct periods in his life. The period of dealings, when he was a bit naughty, a bit underhanded, the period of transformation, and the period of maturity. He went through a lot of things. Said under Laban, he did. But it was, it was after God came to Jacob as a man in Peniel at night, wrestled with him and touched him, that Jacob began to limp and his transformation process begun. He went, underwent dealings, but after 32 in Genesis, he was touched by God. Whenever God touches us, transformation begins. In Jacob's case, everything that happened to him was for his transformation. That is, all that happened to him pressed him and gave him no choice but to undergo an inward change, a metabolic change. God took Jacob through some really difficult situations and some things that pressed him and changed him, emptying him from anything that preoccupied himself and increased his capacity to be filled with God. Everything that happens to us is for our transformation. And God arranges all things, persons and situations around us, to empty us from anything apart from God. Anything that preoccupies us, so that we, may have, so that we might have an increased capacity to be filled with God. In Jacob's case, since God touched his strongest point, his thigh, the process of transpiration began. And he underwent breaking and sufferings that changed his inner being. There are many other situations in his life that transformed him. His sons were a bit wrong, a bit, a bit of a wrong as well. I mean, they, um, Simeon and Levi, one night, for example, made him shameful in front of all the people of the country, as um, by killing the people of Shechem, after tricking them into being circumcised, the son of the ruler of the city were to marry Dinah, their sister, after he humiliated her. Jacob, not, Jacob could not forget that. He was made to be a fool in front of the people, and he had to leave in shame. All the things, all the persons in Jacob's situation, in Jacob's life, were sovereignly arranged by God for Jacob's transformation into Israel, the Prince of Peace. And God wants to transform you today so that through you, Notebridge, Wickford, Billericay, Rayleigh, Southend, Dagenham, wherever you are in the world around you might be changed and other places shall be blessed. And just one final thing. In John chapter 4, we... I could have looked at many other things in the story of Jacob. I mean, just briefly on Leah, Jacob's wife. Leah felt unloved, but through the unwantedness and in God's plan, God opened the womb of Leah and closed the womb of Rachel because through Leah, the tribe of Judah would be born. And who is in the line of Judah? David. Who is in the line of Jesus. Everything has already been planned out by God. God knew that Leah would bear sons of Jacob, who would be Israel. 
and through him all nations will be blessed. And because of his deceitfulness and the wanting of Rachel more than Leah, the lineage would continue through Leah, through her, because God chooses the weaker things to shame the wise. But one thing I want to just finally I want to say is in John chapter 4 at Jacob's well. Now, it could have been a well dug by Jacob, we don't know that. All we know is there's a well here and it's called Jacob's well. What's more important is that it was in the, it was in the midday heat and Jesus had a divine appointment with a woman who had a checkered past. At this well he met her, a Samaritan woman. He could have taken the shorter route, there's many arguments, he could have taken the shorter route to Jerusalem, but he chose the longer route to get there. Because this journey would be different. This journey would give a woman an encounter with living water. I don't know who you are, I don't know your personal stories, but you no longer have to go to the midday sun and the well, son and daughter of God. You don't have to keep going to the well to avoid the crowds. Because Jesus has come and has wiped away your sin. Jesus has dealt with your sin on the cross. There is no more condemnation if you belong to Christ. She didn't understand at first what Jesus was talking about. She didn't understand this different water. See, water in a bottle will only give you temporary relief. But this would be water that would not only give life to her, but would give life to her family and the entire town in which she lived. Because she goes back. She goes back to the village and says, see a man who knew everything about me. And God used her, just like he did Jacob, to touch her community. God knew her natural and gave her a limp in the inner, in, in, in the inner woman. And she limped back to her community and brought revival to her, to her town. I don't know who I'm speaking to. I don't know what the world has robbed you of. I don't know what right as a child of God you need to claim for yourself. I don't know if you've been wrestling with God for so long. I don't know if you've been dreaming for so long and you've missed the presence of God. You've missed him moving in meetings. I don't know if you've been longing for living water. But child of God, God wants to use you from today, not tomorrow, but today, in a mighty way that you've never been used before, to take you deeper into him. God wants to take you on a journey with him that will last for eternity. He will mould us on the way. He will change us on the way, exposing things in the natural that would be hidden in the dark. And thank God for that. He will use circumstances to transform us for his sovereignty. But it's all for his glory. All glory goes to him. All glory goes back to the one who gave it to us. For the whole earth will be filled with the glory of God as the waters cover the sea. Amen. 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 Hallelujah. Yes.